Good morning. Before I begin this morning, just a thank you, a shout out to all the veterans. Friday was Veterans Day, and we just want to say thank you for all of you who served, put on a uniform. You know, you were willing to sacrifice for those of us who uh, weren't in the service, and we have just been blessed in this country by so, so many. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This morning, we heard a little word of encouragement just a few minutes ago about a father mindful of a lost son. He was waiting. He was watching, thinking about one who was lost and really in a bad, bad way. And waiting even when that son Finally came to his senses and was going to return. He saw him from afar off and just welcomed him with open arms. This is just such a beautiful image of God the Father, that he is mindful, mindful of the lost, thinking of them. What about you? Is God mindful of you? Does God think about you? We sung some songs today about how that the hosts in heaven praise his name. And we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. How far are we below God? You know, does it sometimes make us seem insignificant, small, even think that maybe he doesn't even think about us? And this is the theme of what I want to bring to you this morning. Is God mindful of us in our place here on on this globe where we're below, he's above? Let's talk about that. I'm going to begin in Psalm number eight. We're gonna read the entire Psalm. It's only nine verses. If you put your finger in Psalm number eight and then a little bit later, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter two. Psalm eight is a psalm of David. David, if you don't really know much about him, he's an Old Testament person. He lived about a thousand years before Jesus Christ. In his early life as a young boy and a young man, David was a shepherd. He kept sheep. He proved to be courageous as a shepherd. He fought off lions and bears with his bare hands. This is how courageous he was. He grew to become uh, famous uh, because as a young man, he defeated Goliath, the giant from the, the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. David defeated the giant Goliath. He went on to become a valiant warrior for Israel, and he became second king of Israel. And God gave David a promise. He promised there would always be someone in his lineage who could be king. In essence, David had this promise of an an eternal claim to the throne. And David, as king, he went on to conquer uh, Jerusalem, and he made it capital of Israel. God blessed David. God blessed him in many, many ways. He had many strengths. He had many talents. One of his talents was that of musician. He was also gifted as a songwriter. 
He wrote many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible in the Old Testament. There's 150 Psalms. Many are attributed to David. And this morning, we consider Psalm number 8, a Psalm of David. And Psalm 8 begins this way. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And I want to just pause right there after those first two verses just for a moment to give a brief bit of explanation. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus quotes this verse, verse number two. He was in the temple. It was the week of the Passover celebration, huge celebration. Jerusalem was full of people. They make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship in the temple and to observe the Passover celebration. The temple was teeming with people. It was packed. And Jesus was there. He was healing the lame and he was healing the blind. And little children, Matthew records they were in the temple courts and they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Well, this was a a reference to Jesus being in this divine lineage of David and the chief priests and the elders of Israel and the, the teachers of the law. They were indignant. They confronted Jesus. Do you hear what these little kids are saying? Do you hear these children The enemies and the foes of Jesus were coming against him. And Jesus replied to them, and he said, yeah, I hear the the kids. And then he quoted Psalm number 8, verse 2, about little children establishing strength, a stronghold against the enemies by their praise. The little children were praising Jesus. Hosanna to the son of David, confirming that it was Jesus who was in this divine lineage in the eternal dynasty of David. And these indignant enemies of Jesus, what are they going to do? What are they going to do to so many little children? Are they going to flog them? Are they going to arrest them? They were silenced. They couldn't do anything. In this temple that was packed with people, pilgrims from all over uh, the area, all over the land coming to Jerusalem, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers, they were silenced by the weakest. It was the weakest, the seemingly insignificant that God used as a a place of strength. God saw them as significant. And, And that's the crux of Psalm 8, verse number two. What seems insignificant What seems less than, what seems little, what seems small is significant in the eyes of God. And verses three through eight, they just parallel that. They parallel verse number two. Let's read them. Let's continue in Psalm number eight. David writes, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
There's the bookend. There, the, the last verse, verse number nine, it's the same as the first verse, all about the magnificence, the majesty of the Lord, the Lord whom David extolled here as creator. In verses three through eight, that parallel, that verse number two, David contrasts the significance that, or, or those that seem significant, the entire universe, with what seems insignificant, humans, mankind. When I consider your heavens, David wrote, the moon, the stars, they're so huge. And Lord, you set them in place. When David was a shepherd, he would have experienced many hours, many nights of watching over his flock at night. And those were times when these lines from Psalm 8 might have been inspired. After settling his flock, picture it, after settling his flock on a clear night, he could take in God's handiwork. The moon, the stars, to his unaided eye, on a really clear night, David could take in about 6,000 stars. That night sky, just brilliant, stunning. David was in awe as he considered the heavens, looking out at all these celestial bodies in the heavens. It made him feel small, insignificant. What is mankind that you, Lord, are mindful of them. Really, do you even think about us, human beings, that you care for them? In, in his head, in his heart, can you hear David saying, who am I that you are mindful of me? Sitting beneath the expanse, this, this enormous expanse of all God's creation, it seems he was overwhelmed with his, his littleness. I read a commentary on Psalm number eight. It was published in 1879. It mentioned you know, the vastness of space, which was known at that time. It mentioned the Ross Telescope, which was a famous telescope during you know, the 1850s that was used to observe and sketch distant galaxies for the very first time. Because of what could be seen by the Ross telescope, it was thought that in the universe, beyond the 6,000 stars, the unaided eye could see that perhaps there were 20 million. Well, that was about 170 years ago. And so, so much more has been discovered about the expanse of the sky. Last weekend, Julie and I had a chance to visit the Creation Museum. We visited Pastor Terry Allen uh, at the Church on Fire in Batesville, Indiana, where Brother Terry's pastoring, and Pastor Terry and his wife, Rhea, they were great hosts, and they took us to the Creation Museum because it's pretty close there to Batesville, and uh, there were some great exhibits, but one that was just fantastic was the planetarium. The planetarium gave just a beautiful presentation. It was magnificent that depicted not just the night sky, not, not just the constellations that we see in the Big Dipper and the North Star and that, but it, it began to just 
go deeper and deeper into space and give us this picture of galaxies and so many beyond our own galaxy. And I remember at the end it said something like, the universe is about 100 billion light years wide. So if, if we're where we're at, we can look out almost 50 billion light years in any direction. And, and the universe is out there, and that's just, it's mind-melting to think about that. Since the 1850s, when that Ross telescope brought uh, into focus galaxies beyond the Milky Way for the first time, what more has been discovered? It's amazing what, what more. By, by eliminating the distortion of the atmosphere, telescopes have been sent out into space the Hubble Telescope, the James Webb Telescope, and they have just discovered amazing, amazing things. In the early 2000s, the Hubble Telescope, it conducted an interesting experiment. They aimed the Hubble Telescope at a, a piece of sky that everybody thought was pretty empty. It was just a black piece of sky. But it was a small, small dark piece the Hubble aimed at. It was about one thirty-two millionth of the sky. So it's a, it's a really small piece of the sky. If you think, think about it, if you look up at the sky and you hold your thumb up and your thumbnail, basically it's blocking out about that much that the Hubble's aiming at. But obviously as you go out more and more into space, it spreads out. Well, they did this over a course of time, about 10 years actually. They would as the, as the Hubble would come by this place, it would aim at it, and it would just take in as much light as possible. They wanted to get the longest exposure, more light, as much light as they possibly could find, even though the naked eye couldn't see any. And they accumulated about 2 million seconds of exposure. That's about 23 full days. And then they compiled an image. And that image was stunning. Some of these astrophysicists, they just weren't expecting it. The image exposed 5,500 galaxies. Not stars, galaxies. It's, again, it's so hard to comprehend. 5,500 galaxies in one 32 millionth of the sky. The, the Hubble would have to do 32 million more images to get kind of the full panoramic. And to just think about that. If you took 5,500 galaxies and multiplied it by 32 million, you come up with a really big number. But you know what? They knew they couldn't see all the galaxies out there. Some were blocking others. There was some really dim, dim red light. I don't even know what it means, but whatever. They knew there was more out there. So th they make an estimate based on what they saw. Two trillion galaxies in the universe. Now, again, let that sink in. How many stars in a galaxy? Ah, a billion, a couple billion. They say four billion in the Milky Way. So the estimate about the number of stars in the universe, 2.2 sextillion. Now that's a number I don't need, that's a word I don't know. I mean, after billion, 
I know the deficit might get to sextillion one day, but we're not there yet. So we don't know that. We don't know. We don't say that too often. 2.2 sextillion is 2.2 times 10 to the 21st power. So you write 22 and just add 20 more zeros. You got the number. We could say it this way. 2,200 billion, billion stars. It's mind-numbing to think about that. Now picture David. Picture David beneath the night sky. He can see about 6,000 stars maybe. What if he knew there were 2.2 sextillion more stars? 2,200 billion, billion more. How small might he have felt? How small? He was in awe considering God's handiwork. How much more awe can we in knowing we, we, we know how much is beyond? What are we, God? What are we, God? In the midst of all your creation, what are we that you're mindful of us? We are created, David said, lower than God, lower than the angels, but crowned by God because he gave us dominion over creation. And David went on to speak about some of the things that God gave us dominion over. And he's like, Lord, how majestic you are. Feeling just minuscule, insignificant, surrounded by the full magnificence of the universe. David was confident. He was confident. God is mindful of me. What is mankind? The, the, the question was answered to David. But is it answered to us? You know, we might want more sometimes. It may be difficult for us to, to really think it and know for sure God is mindful of us. God is mindful of me. Let's take from Psalm 8. A thousand years before Jesus, let's come up about a thousand years to the New Testament, to the letter to the Hebrews, where the theme of this letter it was all about the greatness of Jesus. The greatness of Jesus. And in that letter, it answers this question that David posed. You know, who are we, God? What is, what is man that you're mindful of us? And let's read some of it. It's in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. And I'm going I'm to read also verses 14 and 15. They add a little bit to it. David, or the, the writer of Hebrews here was writing about salvation and angels, saying Jesus was way, way better than all the angels. And he brought us this great salvation from sin. And the writer says in verse 5, it is not to angels that he or God has subjected the world to come. And the world to come is the eternal world, the, the new heaven and the new earth. It is not to angels that he, God, has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, which was, again, all, all about salvation. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Son of man, a son of man, which would mean, hey, you, a son or a daughter, that you care for him. 
You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. This is coming right from Psalm number eight. And put everything under their feet. And putting in everything under them, God left nothing that is not subjected to them. Yet, something changes here. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, that is, the son or the daughter of man, the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now this is an amazing passage of scripture because here the answer to the question David posed is given with absolute assurance. The question is answered. What is mankind that God is mindful of them? Mankind is significant to God, so significant that, that God is conscious and he's mindful of us all. He's mindful of humanity, but what about you? What about you personally? What about you individually? You, a son, you, a daughter. God is mindful of you. God cares for you. He's mindful of you today. He cares for you today. And you know, sometimes you just might find that a little difficult to accept. And, and that's the reminder today. God is mindful of you, but sometimes difficult to accept. You might want to ask what David asked. What is mankind? But then stop right there. What is mankind? In the midst of trillions of galaxies and sextillions of stars, what am I? What am I as an individual? But a speck of dust on a grain of sand that's revolving around a little ember among trillions and trillions of, of other celestial bodies. It's an ocean of, of creation that is, that is enormous beyond imagination. And you might think there is no way, there is no way God can be mindful of me. I'm a speck of dust among billions of specks of dust here on this little grain of sand. How could it be? How can I accept that God is mindful of me? Especially today when I'm in pain or something's going on, I've got an issue. If he cares, why the suffering? Why the strife? Why the arguments? We, we were reminded of that earlier today. Why the arguments? Why the fights? Why the issues? Why all the chaos? Why the disorder? Why does it seem like the world's falling apart around me if God's mindful of me and he really cares? The New Testament letter to the Hebrews shares the answer God cares so much for you. This is what he did. And this is what he did that is a reality every single day. This is how much he cared. He lowered himself from his place of glory, his place over a, a universe that's a hundred billion light years across. He made himself just like you and me. And he shared in our humanity as Jesus. He became flesh and blood. He became a speck of dust on a grain of sand. Why did he do that? 
because he created us and he created mankind to be above all of his creation. We read that he put everything under mankind and he left nothing to not be subject to them. But, but the author wrote, at present we do not see everything subject to humanity. Well, what is it? Is it or isn't it? It is. It is. But without Jesus, it isn't. We read and we, 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 we're encouraged through this. See Jesus. See Jesus. See Jesus who humbled himself. He lowered himself and he took on humanity for a specific purpose. To get everything, everything back under the subjection of mankind. Like it was when God first created Things that were not subject to mankind, Jesus took care of. Things that were not under humanity. And you know one of the big ones? Death. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to about. Uh, writing to, to his first original audience, and we can take it. He's writing to us about it. When God created the first humans, death came into the world. And the writer's writing to us about that. God put those first humans on earth and he gave them everything. That's the end of the first chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter one. Everything was theirs. God gave them everything. With one single exclusion, one tree, God said don't eat from it or you will certainly die. Genesis 2, 17. Eat from this tree and you will certainly die. And the account of Genesis is that our first parents they defied God's instruction. They ate from the tree that God said, don't. And things changed. What happened? Well, enter weeds and thistles and, and enter pain in giving birth, pain in life, pain in tending the earth by the sweat of your brow. That's how it's going to work now. And by the way, God said, you're going back to dust. You're going back to dust. This body of yours, because of death, you're going back to dust. Mankind no longer ruled over creation as they did before sinning, before sin. Now, we don't love the word, but it's a consequence of sin that these things occurred. And because of sin, death became something that humans were no longer over, but now they were subject to death. We became subject to death. We do not see everything as subject to us, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus, and it's subject to him. Jesus, who left his place of glory, he was made lower. He shared in our humanity. But now the letter tells us Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, not for himself. What did the writer say? He suffered death, not just for a few. He suffered death for everyone. For everyone, so that by his death he might break the power of the one who holds the power of death, the devil, and free all who were held in this bondage by their fear of death. Jesus became human in every way to make atonement for sin by giving his life. That is how much God is mindful of you. That is how much God is mindful of you. Jesus died for you. 
He made a way for death to be now subject to us, which is an amazing thing. By overcoming death, God made a way for, for you to be eternal. And what does that mean? You can beat time, too. Time isn't subject to you when you come to Christ. When you see Jesus as your salvation, God is so mindful of you. He's mindful of your eternal destination. His desire is that you don't die forever. No, his desire is that you live forever. You, you, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the two trillion galaxies, the 2.26 trillion stars, they're not eternal. There is no promise of eternalness for them. There's no plan for them to be eternal. But for you, God cares for you so much. Guess what? He's got a plan for you to be eternal, to, be, to beat out time, for time to be subject to you, not you subject to time. That's how mindful God is of humanity and you. He opened a way for you to no longer be subject to time. It won't take a toll on you in eternal life. Sure, there's pain in this life. Yes, there is. There is suffering. There is chaos. There is disorder. There's depression. There's heartache. There is brokenness. It is daily. It's continuous. The weeds and the thistles of life. Yeah, we deal with them. Sometimes they can be draining. We live in this state because of sin. It's a consequence of sin. But God cares for you so much beyond the pain. He cares for you beyond the suffering of this life. He's so mindful that he's offered you a way out of it. A way for peace in the chaos. A way for encouragement when you're depressed. He gives you joy for mourning. He cares for you so much. He, he's brought a way for you to end suffering. He offers you a victory over death. How? By Jesus. By Jesus. Who are you that God is mindful of you? You know, the next time you're awed by a night full of stars or you see a breathtaking full moon, which we, we had earlier in the week, or you take in some wonder of nature and it just causes you to pause for a moment to consider it. When you consider God's creation, the work of his hands, and you wonder, who am I in all of this? Is God really, truly mindful of me? You know, don't make it a question. Flip it around. Turn it into a declaration. Be reminded. Say it, God is mindful of me. Say it like you mean it. Say it in your heart. Believe it. God's mindful of me every day. Every day. And if, if you were one who, who came out of a life that was disastrous, remember that day that he had his arms open. He's like, welcome. Come on, let me give you a coat and a ring. In these moments of wondering, does God care? Be reminded. Remind yourself he cares so much. He came to the same earth that I'm walking on right now. He came to this single planet in the midst of billions of galaxies, trillions of stars. He came here to atone for my sin. Jesus received my penalty. He received what I was supposed to get based on Genesis 2, 17. You will certainly die. 
Jesus did it for me. Remind yourself of that. Because of Jesus, you're no longer subject to death. You've even conquered time. You're assured of eternal life. That's every day. See Jesus. See Jesus. Read that Hebrews chapter 2. It's a short sentence. But we see Jesus. And if you see creation all around you and you wonder, just see Jesus. If you've never accepted that he cares for you, see Jesus. He's mindful of you. I've been reading some articles by a brilliant, brilliant PhD astrophysicist. He's just an amazing communicator. He writes about the universe and uh, the, the way that he writes, it's so understanding for, for us who aren't astrophysicists and uh, all the, the equations about gravity and stuff. He makes it understandable. He makes it engaging. This week, this week, he published an article Based on a question from a reader, a reader wrote, have you considered doing a column about what the stars make you feel? This guy's been writing columns for years. Well, he responded, it's an unusual question for me to receive, but one that's no less important than any scientific question one can ask. And he went on to write about his deep feelings that he experienced even as a child, looking up at the sky, where he was in the city and he could only see a few little stars and uh, it, it just impressed him so much. It led to a life that is immersed in studying the universe and the cosmos. And as the years went by, he became a professor at various colleges, award-winning author. And he wrote this, this article about how it all just made him feel. And his conclusion, his conclusion was kind of sad. It was kind of heartbreaking. At the end, he wrote, the universe is huge. It's enormous. It's full of galaxies, stars, planets, and the ingredients for life. And yet, in all that space, we have yet to find anyone else. For all the problems that we have here on earth, we have no indication from anywhere that anyone is coming to save or rescue us. We are all limited creatures struggling to find meaning to our existence. And yes, there's no evidence that there's anyone out there watching over us, looking out for us, or coming to save us from ourselves. And I found that to be just a really heartbreaking way to end this, this article that was just, it shared the awe of what I know we, most all of us feel when we're standing even before a sky that we can't even see all the rest of God's creation. You know, and in that awe, this writer concludes, there's not, not, no one out there, nothing. No one that can help us or save us. And I wanna tell you today, there is. There is. We see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? Do you see him? When you see all the wonder in the universe, it screams, it screams creation. Now, this just didn't happen by chance. It wasn't some chance happening that all of these big, huge bodies in space formed and they, they attracted each other through this amazing law of gravity and they began to orbit and all of it. It wasn't chance. It was by a hand, the hand of God, the one who cares. And he cares so much that he came to save. He came to rescue. He did. He's mindful of you. 
And I know so many of you here, you know that. You've professed faith in Jesus Christ for years and years and years. You know, on a day that you do feel down, they'll see Jesus. Be reminded he's mindful of, of you. But maybe you're here today and you never really came to that. You've, you've wondered, like the writer of the psalm, who am I that there's anything out there? You might be like the astrophysicist who sees all of it and yet says there's, there's no evidence, nobody out there. What am I going to do? See Jesus. This is the plan. He came to rescue you from death. You can be no longer subject to death go from death to life today by seeing him and you can see him in all of creation it, it beckons you hey I'm a creator and you can be rescued from being subject to time you can have eternal life you don't have to worry about going back to dust forever no you don't if you're here today and that's you I just I, I implore you See Jesus, reach for Jesus today, call on Jesus today. As we stand right now, let's stand and just close our service with prayer. And if there's anyone here who, that's you, you, you don't need to run out. You don't need to. We'd love to meet you, talk with you, pray with you, talk to you more about God's plan, the creator. And if you need encouragement today, to be encouraged God's mindful of you he thinks of you let's pray let's pray so that you can walk out here confident as confident as David the psalmist to say not a question but have the answer God you're mindful of me Lord how majestic you are you created my life is in your hands thank you let's pray let's pray Lord we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan. We thank you that you did have a plan to save us and to rescue us, despite that we might reject that, that we might see the vastness of everything you created and say there's nothing else. God, I pray that hearts would break that are saying that, that, that you would convince this just wasn't happenstance. You created and you created this vast, huge expanse that we see and experience. And you made a plan to rescue us and save us forever, forever, forever. To put death beneath our feet, to put time beneath our feet. That we could be eternal beings. Lord, all this dust, all the cosmos will go away, but not us. Because you promised it and you said it and you, you came to this very planet for us. Thank you for that, God. If there's anyone who needs to be encouraged in that today, that the answer is you are mindful of me in my pain, in my suffering, in my issues, in my trouble, in my chaos. Lord, you're so mindful of me. You saved my soul forever and ever. God, encourage today with that. Encourage, Lord, lift and, and just salve and soothe and bring peace to everyone or anyone who's asking, who am I? Who am I? And, and Lord, if there's anyone here or, or, or listening that's never turned their life over, they've never come to this place of acknowledging there is a creator and there is a plan 
God, I just pray that those hearts that are turning in, in this moment, Lord, you'd receive them. You'd receive them like the word we heard today with open arms, open arms, and you would receive them. Father, as a father waiting, waiting for the lost to suddenly come to their senses. God, I just pray, I pray, Lord, that any anyone who's turning to you right now, Lord, you'd embrace them. Those everlasting arms of Jesus would just wrap around them, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Lord. We, we ask your grace as we go on the rest of our day, the rest of our week. And keep, keep us, Lord. Keep us forever declaring you think about us. You, you think about us and you thought about us so much you gave us eternal life. Oh, Lord, help us to walk in that, to receive it, to believe it with all our hearts, never waver from it. Father God, I just ask it over all here in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, these altars are open for anyone. If you need prayer, uh, our elders are here. Uh, If you need prayer today, you don't need to run out. They're always open at the end of a service. God bless you.